Hi, this is Matt here, host of the Video Game Sequel Cast. Uh, this show on the Gabriel Knight trilogy will start with an interview I did with Jane Jensen, and then we'll go into a regular episode with uh, guest Tyler Smith of the Battleship Pretension and More Than One Lesson podcast, and then Thrasher joins us later on in the show. Enjoy. Hi, this is Matt, host of the Video Game Sequel Cast. We're recording out of Portland, Oregon. We have a special guest here for an interview on the show. She's the writer-designer of Sierra Online's acclaimed Gabriel Knight trilogy. The first game in the series is getting a 20th anniversary edition, set for release on PC, Mac, and tablets later this year. Her latest game, Mobius Empire Rising, was developed by her new company, Pinkerton Road Studio. Jane Jensen, welcome to the Video Game Sequel Cast. Hi, thanks for having me on. Oh, no problem. Um, we got a question from my co-host, uh, Thrasher. He was wondering, when you were doing the original pitch for the first Gabriel Knight game, was Tim Curry always the actor he had in mind? No, he wasn't cast until, you know, the game was fairly well along in development and we were doing voiceover casting. So that would have been after you did, like, um, like concept sketches and... Yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, it's always interesting when a, a British actor does an American accent, and I think Tim Curry's distinctive voice uh, works pretty well. Yeah, he was amazing. I... I it was really probably one of the best experiences of my career to be able to work with the cast that we had on GK1. And I was there the first couple of weeks of recording, and it was just like, you know, <laughs> yeah, you just can't believe that you're actually meeting these people and they're reading your dialogue. So it was awesome. Oh, and the behind-the-scenes video on the CD-ROM of the first game was great, too. You got to see some of the interviews with Tim Curry and Mark Hamill and so forth. Yeah, yeah that was a fun video. Uh, another question I received from Tyler Smith, who does the Battleship Pretension and More Than One Lesson podcast. Gabriel Knight 1 seems to be pretty steeped in film noir, but uh, were you specifically inspired by any particular movie or a film director? Yeah, I think that the two f- sort of formative style influences on Gabriel Knight were um, the Hellblazer comic mm. and then um, Angel Heart. Oh, with Robert De Niro. Yeah, and um, Mickey Rourke. That was, I just love the real, I mean, I have always had always been an Anne Rice fan anyway, so mm-hmm. I had this feeling about New Orleans, but that movie just sort of put it over the top, just that sense of, um, you know, mystery and, and sort of underlying currents of evil and power. And so, yeah, that, that movie was a big influence, and it was actually a bigger influence, I would say, on, this, on the remake, because, mm. you know, at the time that we did the first Gabriel Night, we didn't have that many pixels to work with. Um, sure. But we specifically kind of called back, you know, once we were able to do the remake, which is like 2000 and something, you know, it's, it's, it's retina resolution. So it's the background scenes are quite large and we were able to actually use some more reference from the film and make it more, uh, more New Orleans like in that angel heart style. It's more moody as far as the lighting goes. Yeah. Really those old adventure games, they're a natural for modern touch interfaces on tablets. Yeah, definitely. I, I love playing adventure games on tablets, and I, I think actually the very first time I saw an iPad, I you know they had just come out, and I went into mm-hmm. an Apple store at the mall, and I couldn't didn't want to buy one then because they were really expensive. <laughs> but just looking at it, I was like, oh, holy shit! <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is a great device for adventure games. So as the series progressed, you eventually did the the one click interface, but that first Gabriel Knight game had the multiple icons. Mm-hmm. Did you which did you prefer as far as interfaces go? Well, we retained we, – we, we sort of have a hybrid in the, the new game. Mm-hmm. Um, when you tap on something, you do get like, like a verb wheel, but 
it doesn't show you know in, in the original game you could use any verb on anything right <clears throat> and i think people now don't really have the patience for that um <laughs> so we sort of narrowed it down to the things that actually give you an interesting response and you know a lot of times it's just a message because we we wanted to keep in as much as the original game as possible so we didn't cut a lot of the original messages um but you know if it just said well you know there's nothing you can do with that or whatever we we cut that out so it's it's kind of a crossbreed right now. We'll see if when we you know when we take it to iPad if we decide to implement sort of a, an easier single touch or not. So is it coming out on PC and Mac first before the uh, iPad? Yeah, yeah. Great. That should be around end of August. Okay, well I'm uh, greatly looking forward to it. Uh, thanks for your time, Jane, for coming on to talk about Gabriel Knight. Well, thank you, Matthew. You're welcome. Hello and welcome to the Video Game Sequel Cast. The Video Game Sequel Cast is a podcast that looks at video game franchises. This time around, we're looking at a classic series of adventure games that are horrific, scary, even a bit sexy. I'm talking about the Gabriel Knight series of games uh, designed by Jane Jensen. There were three of them in the 90s. But uh, for this segment in particular, we're talking about the very first game. And with me, I have a very special guest. Not only is he the host of two, yes, I said two podcasts, Battleship Pretension and More Than One Lesson, he is also a film critic for Battleship Pretension, Tyler Smith. Welcome to the video game sequel cast. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, of course. And uh, the reason why I selected you is quite some time ago on uh, Battleship Pretension, you have this segment called Fantasy Casting. And you picked that first Gabriel Knight game, like if it was a movie, who'd be good to play the different parts. Right. And it, I, I felt like I was the only one that had played that game because while it was a Sierra game and it did sell a lot of copies, it wasn't a King's Quest. It wasn't a Space Quest. You know, it, it's not perhaps as well known as some of their other series. Yeah. Yeah, which is uh, unfortunate because I think the first Gabriel Knight game uh, represents the pinnacle of Sierra. I think it is the best work they've ever mm. done. Right. Um, did you get a chance to listen to the Jane Jensen interview I did? I did, yes. And so the film she talked about as a uh, influence was Angel Heart. Have you seen that? I actually have not. I've heard good things about it, but I never got around to seeing it. Yeah, it's currently streaming on Netflix. Uh, watch instantly. And I got to see the first five minutes before my internet crapped <laughs> out last night. Okay. And you can see visually what she's talking about as far as an influence. The streets look kind of dirty. Mickey yeah. Rourke is the main character that's a detective. The plot is about voodoo murders, and he wears kind of like a lawn jacket and has tussled hair, not unlike Gabriel Knight. There you go. Um, so I, I'm very excited to see the film. I've At the time, it was controversial because I believe Lisa Bonet from The Cosby Show is in it and has a topless scene or something. Uh, that and, is primarily what I've heard about yes, it, yes. right. And I know Robert De Niro is in it. And, uh, but that's, that's about it. But uh, anyway, I'd like to see it. But anyway, that was the answer to your question. All right. So that's exciting. Yeah. You know, when I first played Gabriel Knight, I heard about it. It was a review in a uh, computer game magazine. And I thought, Ooh, this looks adult. I bet I can convince my parents to buy this for me. And they did. They, you know, it, they didn't have ratings on the computer games back then. Right. But I think you'd probably have an, what an M rating, an R rating, whatever it is. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So how old were you when you first played this game, and when did you hear of it? Uh, let's see. A friend of mine named Justin uh, owned it, and he brought it over. I had not heard of it, I but I knew Sierra, and I and I liked their work. I was a big fan of uh, 
Space Quest, Police Quest, King's Quest, and Quest for Glory. I was a big fan uh-huh. of all of those series. And uh, so he brought it over and, and we started playing it. And I was just immediately mesmerized. And I would say, let's see, the game ca- came out in 93. I think I probably right. played it in 94. Okay. And so I was 12 when I first started playing it. And uh, and it was very difficult. I think once yes. or twice I had to uh, like ask somebody who'd already played it uh, for hints. Um, and But by the time I finished it, all I wanted to do was go back and start it again because um, I wanted to go back into that world. Um, the world of not merely New Orleans, but the New Orleans of Gabriel Knight. I wanted to be a part of that. And so um, I've probably played the game like straight through, yeah. uh, I don't know, probably 15 times in my life. Did you see they're coming out with a, uh, a remake of it? Oh, my, yes. And it's going to start off with a PC Mac release, and then later it's going to be on the iPad. But um, I think the photos of that, it looks very faithful to the original. Yep. And perhaps the most infamous point of the original is uh, there was a CD-ROM version. There was mm-hmm. also a disc version. But, you know, the big thing, you had actual Hollywood actors doing yep. voiceover, including uh, Tim Curry of Stephen King's It fame and uh, Mark Hamill of the Giver fame uh, doing, <laughs> doing voices. And so, but they can't get them to do the voice again for the new one, A, because it's 20 years later, and it'd be, yeah. it'd be too expensive. So I'm very curious if they're going to do sound-alikes for these kind of parts. Yeah, I'm intrigued. I uh, Because in many cases, I mean, those voices, Mark Hamill especially as uh, Mosley was spot yeah. on. I was, right. I was a big fan of his work. Um, and so, yeah, no, uh, I have been, I would say at this point, my friends are sick of me talking about, uh, <laughs> the Gabriel Knight re-release. I'm so excited, Great. um, to buy it and again, go back into that world. And I'm excited to hear, to see updates of, of scenes. I'm excited to hear what they're going to do with the voice actors. I've already heard a few samples of, updating the music so mm-hmm. it doesn't sound right. quite so uh you know midi and stuff like that um and so yeah i'm believe me i i am very very aware of it I, and actually it was when i did that fantasy casting that i first uh-huh. found out about it oh cool and by googling getting the pictures and stuff yeah um, you know you, you mentioned the music was midi which which is funny that's something uh, modern day uh, pc gamers might not understand but back in the day the music in a game either was really awesome or really sucked. And this wasn't yeah. even about the quality of the music. It was how much money you spent on your sound card in yeah. the computer. And nowadays, you know, most computers have onboard sound that sounds pretty good and everything's MP3 anyway. Mm-hmm. But my computer was a piece of shit Packard Bell 486 with the most generic, shitty-ass, ad-lib knockoff sound card. Hmm. And I still love the soundtrack, but it sounded like a bunch of uh, cats meowing at each other yeah i was out of tune uh i've come to realize that my sound card was only okay right uh but the music still came through uh wonderfully and that's uh that's actually a pretty standard thing for uh sierra in general um the king's quest space quest uh certainly the quest for glory Mm -hmm. uh uh games they they all had really great music and gabriel knight especially 
um, had just really moody, atmospheric music. And uh, okay, so here's how much of a nerd I am about adventure games. Yes. And Gabriel Knight specifically. As I've gotten older, I've actually downloaded the soundtracks to many of these. Very good. And the thing about that music is it's supposed to set the tone for the the scene that you are in. That's right. But it can't be too disruptive because the whole point of these games is you're supposed to sit and think and re- and mm-hmm. reason things out. I was going right. to say logic, but sometimes there's not a lot of logic to the <laughs> answers of these things. But um, So it's not supposed to distract you. And so the music actually, in many ways, for me, I associate that with thinking and mm. and your mind going. And so uh, often, if I <laughs> oh boy, if I am writing yes. a review or something for the site, sure, um, yeah, I could write it in total silence. But I, I find, just in general, ever since I was younger, uh, I do better writing if I have music playing. And when I, about a year ago, downloaded the Gabriel Knight soundtrack, I got the music from the St. George's Bookshop, which is moody, but again, not intrusive. And I I, I tend to listen to that while I am writing. Uh, and I feel like it makes me write better and it just, it makes me, I feel like it, you know, just, uh, I feel like I conditioned sure. myself at an early age to think better with this type of music playing. And it's, it's very silly, but, uh, but that's, that is an example of just how, how influential these games and this game specifically was on my life. Yeah, that sounds like it does the, the trick for you. What, what I did <laughs> when I played the game originally is I had a cassette recorder and mm-hmm. I would literally put it up next to my computer speakers and press record as I'd walk into the different rooms in the game and kind of make my own bootleg soundtrack on audio cassette. I was I, I actually did that as well did and you? it did not work out. Yeah, right. I mean, like I wasn't smart enough to have audio cables plug into the computer and then you know, do a proper digital to analog transfer. And so you get all this hiss and feedback, but yeah, I, I did that. In fact, (laughs) I haven't thought about this in years. Once I was doing some chores with my mother in the, in the computer room, which happened to be the bonus room in the house I I grew up in for a time. And I decided, I asked my mom, Oh, can I put some of my music on? We can listen to. And she's like, fine. And so what I do is I just start up and it's the, (laughs) fucking music on the title screen of Gabriel Knight, <laughs> the real super gothy. It's the, yeah. the end credits of the game, too. And I put it on, and my mom is humors me for about five seconds. And she says, what is this crap? Turn it off. <laughs> so I, I did, and you know, we cleaned the room in utter silence. What a horrible woman. Is that the Isn't point of your story? That, That's what that, I'm getting all, at. All women are terrible, especially not just my mother, but Malia Getty from Gabriel Knight. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she's a, a real femme fatale. Yes. Um, and, and also this came with a comic book, right? Uh, yes, it mm-hmm. did. Uh, but it was a comic book of 
the origin of the yes. Schottenjägers. It was right. the story of, of I'm going to, I know all the names. It was the story oh, of, Gun- of Gunter Ritter and Tetelo and <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. So, uh, and it was really, it was really, uh, uh, beautifully drawn and just sure. very out again and wonderfully written. That's the thing about, mm. uh, I never played the third game because honestly, I think at that point I was kind of off adventure games and also right. the the graphics didn't do anything for me um but uh but yeah these these games are are wonderfully written uh i i envy you uh the opportunity to talk to jane jensen you know with i would have liked to talk to her for longer but i knew you know it i just did a five minute window which we were able right. to do which I'm, I'm happy with so i just limited the questions to the first game but yeah i mean our discussion here is mainly just on the first game, I suppose. But that that third game, the the graphics, you know, 3D graphics were not what they are now. Right. And it just looks ugly. But you look at the art of, like, the original game, Gabriel Knight, Sins of the Fathers, and I think the graphics hold up okay. It's pixel artwork, but it's of the highest caliber. And- Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think people are willing to... I don't know. There's, some, there's something about the original game that, mm-hmm. though... It is pixel, you know, artwork and stuff like that. Uh, it doesn't seem dated, whereas because I don't think it was trying to be more than it was. Whereas uh, right. by doing the three D artwork thing, uh, it seemed like Sierra was just trying to uh, be on the cutting edge. And it's like, well, the problem with being on the cutting edge is that give it a month and there will be a new cutting edge and you immediately look outdated and a little ugly. And so it always bothered me that, uh, and I, I understand why they did this with the, with the Gabriel Knight series, because like I said, that first one was kind of the pinnacle of their achievement. And I think they wanted to keep that going with this series. And so each game is a different, a different format. Um, and I always wish that they had just, that somebody had just gone back and remade both game, the second and third game. But with the the type of artwork as the first game, but that's just me. Sure. Well, I mean, in, in the second game, the uh, what sins? No, that's the first one. Since this father, second one, Beast Within, where it's all yeah. the, the video clips for everything. Yeah. Um, they were going to have two whole extra chapters in the game that they cut for budgetary reasons because you're shooting. I don't know if it was shot on film. It might have been shot on videotape. Um, but you know, you're paying for actors and their time and all the technicians. Yeah. And and right, I mean the animation especially in those early 3d games like gabriel knight 3 it looks like a third grader putting on a puppet show like the, oh yeah the lifts never match they don't quite walk right and but actually for this uh this first game for all the animations of people walking what sierra did at the time is they filmed video clips of people walking around and then they rotoscoped the animation yeah and it looks and it looked pretty good it looks pretty good i mean i i have a very specific memory of uh, when Gabriel is in Malia's library waiting for her to show up and mm-hmm. he's looking at uh, the books on her bookshelf and he does this little thing where he rolls back and forth on his feet, which is a very human thing to do. Yes. And the animation looks looks uh, great. It looks uh, uh, flawless. Sure. Even the, the first scene of the game, apart from the, the nightmare kind of cartoon that's done from, I think, still, yeah. animated stills of the comic book, is Gabriel gets up, he gets out of bed, he pours himself a cup of coffee, tussles his hair, flips through the newspaper as uh, his, you know, assistant, administrative assistant in the bookstore, Grace, mm-hmm. is talking to him. And it's all these little character moments. It's not like he walks into a room, stops, and then you hear the sound play. It's animation and voices and music that all work 
really well with each other. Yeah, I think that's. I think what you're what you're talking about is is personality. This exactly. game had a personality. Every e- even in moments when it didn't have to, uh, the fact that you have the option of having coffee, and that that's you don't necessarily get any points for it, but it's a thing you can do, uh, and it winds up being a character thing. The character is a terrible caffeine addict who loves yes. drinking coffee. Uh, <laughs> and, but aside from the, the beginning, the very first day of the game where the character just gets coffee without uh, you having to choose it, um, you don't have to do it from then on. It's just available to you because that's who Gabriel Knight is. It's just, it's choices like that that really make all the characters seem, you know, three dimensional. Right. And, and it makes the world seem complete. Not only that, but there's also choices when you just initiate a conversation with someone, if it's a character that's meant to have a conversation with, you yeah. get, it goes to a black screen and you get a very detailed portrait of both Gabriel and whomever you're talking to and a huge list of what to pick from to yeah. talk about, which Sierra really didn't do at the time. LucasArts kind of did, but the Sierra ones, you can talk yeah, they. They did it a little bit with Quest for Glory, but not mm-hmm. nearly as as in depth. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, and that reminds me is you you'd sent me uh, uh, an email that you were going to be talking to Jane Jensen, asking if I had any questions for her. And yes. <laughs> one of my one of the questions I wanted to ask what, that I wanted you to ask is, what do you know about voodoo? <laughs> or you know, or what can right, you tell me right. about voodoo? Like, however, however it was phrased, because when you play those games, you get you get to know the <laughs> questions very well because you ask every yes. character, and uh, and that's that's wonderful. That's the thing is, it's it's important to recognize some of the some of the uh, the silliness and, and repetition of these games, but uh, but I do it with affection. Sure. And speaking of affection, uh, I really enjoy Tim Curry's performance as Gabriel Knight. Now, that being said, um, he's an actor. He's a British actor. Mm-hmm. And he's doing an American accent. And not just any American accent, a New Orleans accent. Yeah. Very particular. Now, while what he's doing doesn't sound like anything I've heard uh, when I was in New Orleans the one time I've been there, it's still very Tim Curry and it's very memorable. And somehow yeah. it works. I think the reason that it works, and, and that's the thing, people have made fun of his sure. his New Orleans accent. And as a kid, I think I was too young to understand uh, that the accent was not that good. Um, and it's not always consistent. When he hits, mm. often when he hits O's, uh, you'll hear uh, his his Britishness come through. Um, but the reason that it works for me. I mean, this is this is why, for example, people like Sean Connery, mm, even though right. he only he's I mean, he's played Irishman and Russians and I believe yes. even a Spaniard <laughs> once. But he always sounds like he's from Scotland, you know, and I hate to say it, but Michael Caine, wonderful actor, though he is, is yes. terrible at American accents. Um, but even when he's doing them, you're still invested and you still like it. And it's because they're still actors. And so while they're not maybe spending all the time and energy on getting every accent exactly right. They get the emotion right. They get the personality right. And I feel like if you had a lesser actor in the role of Gabriel, uh, perhaps the accent would have been better. But I feel like the character wouldn't have the personality that he does. The character is very 
very rich and he's funny and sure. you can tell that he's intelligent but not incredibly smart and that <laughs> yeah. he's just kind of winging it. Uh, right. He really is a, a really strong character and some of that is the writing obviously some of it is, is the character design but a good portion of it is the way he delivers those lines um he's just very has a lot of emotion and and nuance yeah and, and uh, charm uh, he's right. remarkably charming how would i ever manage without you you give me a break the devil himself couldn't change you well if the devil had great legs perhaps like yours Sure, and unlike a lot of other computer games at the time, even like King's Quest V, which I think was Sierra's first uh, game with voices, yeah. this had the staffers do the voices, right? Yeah, so it's like, which I find... I'm King Graham. Yeah, yeah, which I find funny. It, it is. <laughs> um, but... Meanwhile, and then when you get to King's Quest VI, the voices get much, much better. Oh, yeah, yeah. These and then uh, uh, a favorite of mine is Quest for Glory Four: mm. Shadows of Darkness, sure. which has... Yep. Really wonderful voices all the way through because they brought in at that point like professional voice actors like a Jim Cummings and that kind of thing. So when you had John Reese Davies as the narrator, oh, wonderful, wonderful narration, and he does a great job. And then with the Space Quest series, you had Gary Owens, mm, um, sure. and Classic. none of the other voice acting in the Space Quest series was that particularly good, but he was remarkable. I, his his role as the narrator in Space Quest uh, was very influential on my theory of comedy. Yeah, he was the narrator for four and six, and I always wondered why they never did a voice for uh, number five. Space Quest Five didn't have voices for some reason. Uh, budgetary reasons. Budgetary, the uh, okay. yeah, the that game was uh, I think co-funded by Sierra, and then I think some other I think called Dynamics, some other company I think called Dynamics. And uh, and so it just didn't have a great deal of money behind it, and so they couldn't, mm. uh, which is unfortunate because th- there are a lot of great characters in that game, and and it would be it would have been neat to hear what they did with them was with their voices and such, but um, but yeah, Gabriel Knight is just um, and the voice again, Tim Curry's great. I love Mark Hamill. Leah Remini brings a lot, sure. a whole lot to the character of Grace. Yeah. And, I think one of the reasons the, that the game works so well is because of the dynamic between Gabriel and his uh, his allies. I mean, he has good chemistry with Mosley. He has great chemistry with Grace. Um, and they didn't just devolve their relationship into something romantic, but you feel like there's probably something there. It's just... It, but, ev- but everybody's great. Michael Dorn plays Dr. John... Um, the uh one of the uh, villains of the game and does a, a really great job i just again sorry i i could speak at length about all the things that i love about the game um but i don't i don't think i will just yet so i'll i'll wait for your questions i'm sorry it's quite all right no need uh to apologize uh yeah liam Romini is grace uh you might know her more as the female lead on the tv show king of queens mm-hmm. is She's very sassy. I mean, the character is deliberately designed to be sort of the opposite of Gabriel. Yeah. She is smart. She's sort of, uh, I mean, she expresses her opinion, but she's keeps, you know, isn't as outgoing and and clumsy as as Gabriel is. And that's, it's a lot of snappy dialogue between the two. Yeah. These, I mean, at times it almost feels more like uh, reading a novel than, than playing a game with all the backstory in there. It does feel like a miniseries, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, one of the reasons I did the fantasy casting of it is because I thought it would make a good 
a good movie, uh, but I feel like it would make a good HBO miniseries, like a uh, like they could do almost a true detective kind of thing with it, Uh, and I think it would work really well. Well, and and look at that with um, look at the TV show Grimm. Yeah, right. I mean, I think that has a lot of similar Gabriel Knight elements in that you're combining a police procedural with Mm -hmm. supernatural uh, elements. Now it's different in that that's more of a cop show, I guess, but. And Gabriel's more of a private eye. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the other thing is for, um, when I say that Gabriel Knight uh, influenced me in a number of ways. Uh, one of them is that I mean I I grew up loving movies, um, but at a pretty early age I started playing these games and I just couldn't get enough of them. And like I said with Space Quest, that kind of influenced some of my comedic sensibilities. But Gabriel Knight. I find myself wondering if I would like film noir as much as I do now, mm-hmm. and if I w- and if I would have liked it as much as I did at a young age, uh, if it weren't for Gabriel Knight. Because I mean, think about it. Like you said, it's more like a private detective. Right. I mean, he's right. he's kind of an antihero. Um, he's a very towel with Maria Getty, like he said. Absolutely, and yeah. in the case of something like the Maltese Falcon, you even have. Uh, a secretary character, you have a rather contentious relationship with the police, um, and you have a, a guy who's a, something of a womanizer and doesn't have a great deal of self-respect, and just sure. it's it's really uh, it's really astounding. So that's the characters, but then also the world that they inhabit is one where everybody is everybody seems to have a secret, even if they shouldn't. Like there's a character named uh, Willie Wa- uh, Willie Walker. At the Dixieland drugstore, who just sells like little uh, curio- voodoo curios and stuff like that. As far as I can tell, he has nothing to do with the voodoo murders. Nor does uh, mm. what's the character name Magentia Moonbeam, Moonbeam who's yeah. just a, who's just this. Uh, she's I don't think she's necessarily a fraud. She does seem to know her stuff here and there. As far as I can tell, these two characters have nothing to do with this mood- this uh, murderous voodoo cult, but they're still really dodgy and, sh- and, and shady as though they do. Uh, everybody in the game has some kind of thing that they're hiding, whether it is specifically related to the plot of the game or not. And that's something that I like is you just, you, you just come to suspect everybody and those – and. Really, the only characters that turn out to be really innocent uh, wind up dying, and hmm. so uh, you know, like the college professor and the and the the, the drug dealer or something. The yeah, the junkie informant junkie. guy. Right. Yeah, and so um, incidentally, a few uh, about a year ago, the the church that I attend had a had sort of this seminar type thing in which uh, a number of uh, Actors and directors and writers that are that are Christian were talking about what it is to be uh, a Christian in the in the film industry. Mm. So I went I went to that and, and it was very interesting. And one of the guys on the panel uh, is now an entertainment lawyer, and his name sounded really familiar to me. It was Chris Litton, and uh, lo and behold, I discovered he was the voice of Crash, that junkie uh, oh, huh. junkie character. Yeah. And, uh, wow. and I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I've got to talk to him afterwards. Cause I would venture uh-huh. to say no one knows this. Um, <laughs> unfortunately he, he ducked out uh, pretty quickly while I was talking to somebody else and, and I didn't get a chance to talk to him. And I, I 
deeply regret that because uh, I think his performance is really great. He's he's really in it. He's not in the game very long, but I mean, the character is dying and is panicking and crying and all that. There's a lot going on there, and so uh, and I remember just the minute I heard his voice, though of course it's 20 years later. The minute I heard his voice, I thought, oh, my gosh, that's Crash. Wow. wow. How exciting. Uh. And so, um, so yeah, but that's – and so even that character, uh, I think this I, – I think the game owes a lot to film noir because even the one-scene characters make an impact. Um, and then, then, of course, there's the, the general art design and the music. Again, all of it seems to really – really, I think, shaped – a lot of my taste in film, even to this day, I really like dark, moody films with a flawed main character and a colorful supporting cast. I, I just really respond to that. And and I don't think Gabriel Knight is solely responsible for that, but I think played a pretty big part. Yeah, I really like also, I mean, you learn quite a bit about the history of voodoo if you're so inclined to talk to all these different characters. Yeah. Uh, so much so that a TV show my wife really liked, at least for the first three seasons, was True Blood on HBO. Hmm. And when they get into some voodoo content uh, with uh, one of the side characters in that series, they talk about Mary Laveau and hoodoo and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I know this already. I felt so smart <laughs> from playing Gabriel Knight. And I, I think that is the real influence of Anne Rice on the all these Gabriel Knight games is that Anne Rice in her novels always does historical stuff. Yeah, I haven't read anything by Anne Rice, but I do know that uh... – that yeah, she, her her books always have a very strong sense of place, uh, and you, as such, you wind up learning a lot about that place. Um, and right. in the same way, you learn a lot about voodoo, but you also learn a lot about New Orleans and the slave trade and and that kind of thing. It's just it's surprising how much stuff I I've picked up to the point where you almost feel like, wait, is this some kind of is this an educational game in disguise? And in some ways, it, it sort of is, but I just think it might just more be Jane Jensen's love of history. And yeah. To talk about, it's not like Carmen San Diego, where you go from a city to city and you have to read a paragraph about yeah. the Constitution to advance to the next, uh, get the next clue. Yeah, and I feel like uh, she she locks it in with the actual story incredibly well. Uh, to the point where you wind up learning stuff, you both Gabriel Knight and you, the the player, um, you wind up learning things without even realizing that you've learned a fact that doesn't doesn't really have much to do with the plot, but but you feel like it does because the more you learn about the history of this stuff, the more you feel like you have an understanding of the the Gettys and Tetelo and that kind of thing. And and because the nature of this story is all about characters coming to grips with their history and their ancestry, it makes sense that the game would focus on history in general, both of New Orleans and of Voodoo and of the United States in general. And so by focusing on those things, it gets the player thinking about the past and the way the past has an impact on the present. Right. Um, and I don't. And again, that just help. That just helps to to deepen the story uh, and deepen how invested 
you get in it while you're playing. Now, most of the game takes place in New Orleans, but um, towards the end, you get to go to Germany and Africa. How did you feel about those segments? I enjoyed them a lot. I do think maybe they go a little bit fast, especially right. with the Germany stuff. Yep. But I understand they got to pick it up. I, I That kind of thing doesn't bother me that much. Yeah, I mean, you're going, in Germany, you go to the family castle and you learn more about the, the Schattenjäger uh, dynasty. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a, and all the Schottenjäger stuff I love too, and that's and that's something the game didn't even need. Mm, sure, yeah. You know, I mean, it's like they could have kept it in New Orleans. Uh, they could have had something about uh, Gabriel's family history. They could have kept that. They did not need to delve into exactly what his family was, um, and. And the character of Wolfgang, uh, voiced by the uh, recently uh, oh, passed, passed away, away. Uh, Ephraim Zembalist Jr. Mm-hmm. And what I like is that even he, I mean, you really, you have one phone conversation with him and then you you can have a longer conversation with him in the midst of a terrible situation in which you, you don't even get to ask him all the questions that you would like to. And you get a a really strong sense of that character by being where he's been like you're in his bedroom you're in his library you talk to his uh, you know the the housekeeper slash obvious girlfriend um and you get a sense that wolf wolfgang is a very sad man whose life is basically just filled with regret and you wind up just sympathizing with this character and realizing that in a way uh Gabriel's life could turn out the same way, just alone and having lived a life that is mostly meaningless. And uh, and so you see – and also just when you see – you were talking earlier about the scenes where uh, you're having a dialogue with somebody and it cuts to those, those close-ups uh, of the characters. Wolfgang looks like an older Gabriel. He has – you know, he's, he's thin and – kind of good looking but he also has kind of crazy hair and he wears a long jacket and stuff and so with Wolfgang you really do feel like you're looking into your possible future unless you change things and so I really appreciated the stuff in Germany and I appreciated the stuff in Africa Uh, and it really again it really helps to broaden the world and you realize that oh the the life of a Schottenjäger is one that is uh pretty complex and uh requires uh all of the character's attention thrasher are you there indeed i am okay, uh, please, cool. uh, listeners please uh, forgive my lateness that's quite all right um so yeah let's uh let's see tyler is about 10 more minutes work for you sure and then i'll just continue it just with thrasher fantastic okay so uh thrasher to catch you up we've been talking about the first gabriel knight game excellent um, have you played that one uh, yes, yes, I did. I, f- I played it with my good friend Mark uh, back when we were in uh, middle school. And would you make fun of Tim Curry's accent? Well, actually, you know what's funny is that we did not have uh, we did not have the talky version the first time oh, we played shit, it. Really? Oh. Yeah, it was. Huh. We were just you know reading the text on screen. There's quite a lot uh, of text. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> and a lot of that we would kind of like. Well, I mean, we we both, you know, we have good reading and comprehension, so we would just read it. Although, anytime I wanted to get a rise out of Mark, I would read it out loud and just give the character <laughs> a preposterous voice. 
Mr. Knight, that appears to be a voodoo gree-gree. <laughs> you know, things like that. So did you find later, uh, getting a, cop- a hold of the CD-ROM version with the voices, did it not match up to the voices in your head when you read the game? It didn't. It didn't match up to the voices in my head, although that was simply because when I first, when we first played through with it, I, I never really made the connection between the fact that it took place in New Orleans with New Orleans accent. So, like, it, when I was reading it my, myself, my head just kind of automatically gave everybody American or British accents just because that's what my head used to know, fill in the right. gaps. So I, I wasn't exactly prepared for the New Orleans or fake New Orleans accents. Yeah, I just played the game again last night. If you go to the website goodoldgames.com, they have a sale. You can get the whole Gabriel Knight trilogy for nine ninety nine. I think. Um, it just works on the PC, though. Uh, out of luck if you have a Mac. But on there, um, you know, with that first game, the narrator has the thickest New Orleans accent I've ever heard, a Cajun I accent. I do remember that. I was going to ask you guys about that because the yeah. narrator is kind of a, a point of contention for some people. I sure. love the narrator. I really yeah. think that she does a good job of uh, of setting the I don't know setting the tone uh, and the fact that she does her accent kind of causes her to speak a little slower and it makes mm-hmm. you at first a little bit impatient, but after a right. while you just kind of it kind of lulls you into it and and it. It also makes you have to listen a little bit closer to see where you're headed. Well, it's all kind of part of the rhythm of the game because that was Mm. another thing that struck me playing through is that this – it was a game that didn't mind taking its time. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just one thing after another. It wasn't just puzzle, 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 puzzle. It was a a game you could really savor. Well, and yet I don't think it ever feels – slow especially if you like sort of mystery stories because you you are set up with these voodoo murders happening in the beginning so there's already an, an inciting um incident even if it's not something that directly affects gabriel in the beginning um however i think a, a big fault like the second game which with, with the video clips the beast within it's about werewolves and a werewolf something a giant man-sized wolf kills a girl or something at the zoo and that's the inciting incident but the, the big mistake the third game makes, uh, the one with the 3D graphics, is there's an exciting action sequence that's in a comic book that comes with the game. But then you don't really see the first murder that directly affects you until day two out of day three of the story. Hmm. So that one just really takes a while to, uh, hmm. to, to, kick, to kick off. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I would consider the the game as moving fast. I mean, obviously, it can really slow down if you're stuck on a puzzle. Sure. Um, it took me forever to figure out uh, what to do with that damn clock in Grandma's Attic. Um, so what do you do with the damn clock in Grandma's Attic? Why did that one stick out for you? Uh, because... <laughs> Wait, are you sorry? Are you are you insinuating something? I don't yeah, appreciate no, no. that, sir. I know. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, basically, you have to you have to turn the hands on the clock to three o'clock. But then mm-hmm. there are symbols in a wheel outside the face of the clock that you ha- that you can turn, and you have to make sure that the dragon is at twelve. Uh, right. And then you turn the key, and then this little drawer comes open. And now, yeah. in retrospect. The game gives you a lot of clues about that. Mm. Uh, 
three dragons, three snakes. It's a motif that shows up pretty sure. consistently throughout. Right. But admittedly, I was young. I was 12 years old, and I, I couldn't quite put it together. And then finally, I, I figured it out. Uh, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. For some reason, this is pinging something in my memory. Did that clock also have something to do with the copy protection on the game? Uh, not that I recall. Um, I don't remember if there was any real copy protection on the game. Yeah, I had the CD version. That one did not have copy protection. But it's right, yeah. The, that's, I had the CD-ROM, so maybe yeah, that's the The floppy issue. disk might have had, had something. Um, you know, the thing that sticks out to me of this game, for some reason, is there's so many incidental lines of dialogue characters have if you just decide to look at everything. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> There's, I think it's maybe you look in the bathroom in Gabriel's bedroom and look in the mirror, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's you get Tim Curry as Gabriel Knight, you know, talking to himself, and he's like, "I look pretty fresh, but better not have any dragon breath when I talk to Mosley." <laughs> and it's like so, so corny and dopey and lovable, and it's like the essential Gabriel Knight line. And I'm sure I got that wrong because I'm working from memory, but it's the game is full of hidden treasures like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that that goes to what I was talking about before is one of the great things about adventure games in general is that um, if they're done right, then everything you do has a pretty unique uh, response. I mean, it can be, you know, I remember there's one uh, where if you just click look on Grace, Mm, yes, uh, Gabriel say Gabriel says, don't mind if I do. (laughs) <laughs> and then Grace responds and she says, do what? And he says, oh, nothing. Like that, that's yeah. just, that didn't need to be there. Like if you click look on Grace, the narrator could have said, it's Grace, your assistant. Sure. You know, but they use a little moments like that to, to develop characters and, and get us further involved in the, in the world. Along and- those same lines in that first scene, if you click the pickup button on Grace, Gabriel says, it's not like I haven't tried. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, he's a sleazy guy, and I think that makes him sort of like an anti-hero. But on the other hand, it's not like there's not a lot of cursing in the game, which I think is sort of appreciative. There is, there is some. I remember there's some, but uh, it's not like a on, Tarantino film. No, no. In fact, the vast majority of the cursing comes from the character of Crash, who's about mm, to right, die right. and is a drug addict. Sure. Uh, but I remember Mosley. Uh, are we allowed to curse on here? Yes. Okay. Um, Day one, when you go to the crime scene, and then if you go, or it could be day two, depending on how you do this, mm-hmm. uh, you go to the police uh, precinct and you go see him in his office. And the first thing you ask him is, you know, how's everything been going? And then he goes, lousy. People are sick fucks. You know that night? <laughs> and just, and the night uh, responds with, I'm starting to get that impression. And uh, it's just, it's like, I'm a big fan of, of exchanges like that. And just, I remember, I mean, uh, when I, f- that's the first bit of uh, big cursing that you hear uh, in the game. And I remember as a kid, I just thought, oh my gosh, like it was jarring to me. Yeah. But I even appreciated it as a kid because I remember thinking like, wow, this, that's probably what this character would say. Uh, I remember, I appreciated the realism of the swearing. Right. And, you know, you, you talk about playing this game when you were younger, when when Mark and I figured out, you know, what the response was when you used the pickup command on Grace. I mm-hmm. think we tried pickup on every female character <laughs> in the game. Oh yeah. Uh, that's uh that's pretty good. Um yeah. 
It's just, uh, I, oh man, I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to, I was going to talk about just how great the game is, but that's not going to, I already have. So sorry, continue. Well, that's fine. Any last comments on the game, Tyler? I know you got to get going. Uh, well, just that, uh, just that it really is, uh, an interesting combination of things. I feel like gaming, which incidentally, I mean, the last game system that I owned, uh, was a Super Nintendo. And so that should speak to how into games I got. But it's partially because around the same time that, you know, uh, everybody, you know, uh, Sega Genesis and all these other things really started coming about. That's when I discovered computer games and I found them infinitely more satisfying, probably because I had an existing love of movies and games for a Genesis and, and super Nintendo, they could be fun, but they weren't the same. They weren't as involving. They didn't pull you in. I think games since then, you know, like the Arkham series and, and mm, Assassin's right. Creed and any number of things. I think they pull you in now. I think they have caught up to what adventure games were. But the fact is, adventure games had a good, you know, a good, uh, probably I'd say, eight to ten year lead on what PlayStation would eventually do um, and what Xbox would eventually do. And so I think that's why, A, I moved away from console games. Uh, but then also, um, I feel like it wound up being they, – they were movies that you could walk around in and, and explore while a plot would still unfold. Um, and I think that's what I liked. And so they could be LucasArts games. I was a big fan of Full Throttle and Day of the Tentacle and Sam and Max Hit the Road right. and that sort of thing. And the Monkey Island games, of course. Uh and then and and Sierra as well. Like those were the two. I think there were other companies, but those were the two that did it best. They created a world and allowed you to be as engaged with that world as you wanted to be. If you wanted to just get the, you know, if you wanted to just uh, go through the plot, then you could. But that's one of the great things about going back and and replaying these games is that it allows you the opportunity to explore things that wouldn't initially occur to you. Um, and on YouTube, incidentally, there's various uh, playthroughs of of these games, and uh, the the job that I have is such that I tend to have things on while I am working, and so uh, I've gone through all these huh. playthroughs of games yeah. that I played when I was a kid, and it was just so like it jarred me back to to my childhood. But one of the things uh, there there are several different playthroughs of many of these games. And I remember the one for King's Quest VI. There's a playthrough in which you just go, th- you just get through the plot, and there you go. Then there's one in which the guy playing explores everything. Wow! She literally tries huh. as much as you can. Sure. And in the comments section, people are like, "Why is he doing this? Why doesn't he just get to it?" And yeah. everyone else said, "You don't get it. The right. point of these games. Well, one of the points of these games is that." They are so detailed that there actually is – there's actually a response for when you try you know, using this photograph with the crocodile mask or something mm-hmm. like that. Yes. It is – I mean it's almost like the – like Jane Jans- Jensen had to write like five or six screenplays worth of material uh, sometimes for stuff that 
you would never ever that's so counterintuitive you would never ever think to try it but she has it there just in case and i just that level of craftsmanship and that level of commitment is something that uh that i really respond to and i feel like when i say gabriel knight is for me certainly the pinnacle of sierra and maybe even the pinnacle of in my opinion the pinnacle of adventure gaming in general Absolutely. Well, you know, like you, Tyler, I'm going to be first uh, up at 2 in the morning on my computer downloading the remake as soon as it becomes available. Damn right. At the end of this summer uh, for PC and Mac, and then later it's coming on the iPad and so forth. So uh, thank you so much. It was fun to to talk a bit about Gabriel Knight, and I will send you an email let you know uh, when the episode goes up. Sounds good. Great. And incidentally, real quick. uh, Yes. this is just for you. You don't have to include it. Okay. Um, I read that uh, with the remake, they're actually adding uh, a handful of new puzzles for yes. the people like you and I. I've heard that. Who know ever? Who already know everything about the game, and we know how to get through it. Uh, but they're adding that uh, so that even as we play through it, there's still some surprises. Sure. Which, in fact, some interview specifically uh, pointed to a puzzle in the graveyard. You had to click a tiny little pixel that was glowing, and they're going to completely uh, rejigger that puzzle. Oh, man. So I, I remember that puzzle actually slowing us down because yes, it took us yeah. forever to find that one little area we could activate. Man, oh, man. Have you, played, have you played the, uh, the Monkey Island remakes? Uh, yes, I did. I love them. I think they're great. Sure. And that they use the the same guy who did the voice and some of the later ones to do it. Yeah, I think yeah. that that's a good balance. And even the remake, I, I think of the second one. Or no, both of those you could push a button and change between modern and old school graphics. I thought yep. it was a cute touch. Yeah, and those that is a nice feature. And those even more than what I'm seeing of Gabriel Knight. Those like it literally they just use the old game as an exact template and just said. We're just updating these graphics and sure. sound effects and music. Uh, some of the Gabriel Knight settings are notably different. They're still the basic, sa- mm. the same layout. Like, for example, if you look uh, at any graphics for Mosley's office, it is very different. St. George's Books looks almost exactly the same with a few details here and there. But, Mo- like, Mosley's office and maybe one or two other places, it's uh, – I'm not put off by it. But I, I find myself interested as to I wonder why they made that choice. But that's just me. But anyway, uh, yeah, I do need to get back to work. But I thought you you might find that interesting. Absolutely. So thank you uh, for thank you for having me on. Uh, I appreciate it. I could talk about as you know I could talk about this uh, all day long. Yep. So all right, yeah, and shoot me an email when it uh, when it posts and i will uh i'll link to it in various places fantastic excellent all right thanks a lot guys thanks. thank you You're welcome. Right. Bye. Bye. our sponsor on sequel cast 2 and friends today is podcorn let's talk a little bit about them hi this is matt bradley shirky host of the sequel cast 2 and friends podcast and i just want to tell you about a, a real fun personal experience i had using podcorn podcorn it's a unique online marketplace that connects podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities ranging from host read ads to topical discussions and interview segments and uh so why would this be interesting well this is a podcast right sequel has two it's a podcast and if you're listening to it i bet you have an idea for a podcast yourself and uh and when you get to making one or maybe you already have one you you really need to think about getting uh getting a sponsor 
because podcasting is a hobby. You know, it's it's not cheap. Any any money you can get to wet the beak a little, as uh, Thrasher likes to say, uh, would, would help greatly. And so with Podcorn, there's no middleman. Podcasters of all size, shapes, and sizes can uh, browse and choose opportunities on the platform, set their own rates, really easy to use. You don't have to give up any rights to your podcast. And uh, Podcorn supports you there every step of the way. In fact, initially, I was unsure if uh, this podcast was like a big enough one to even be on their platform. And I got a response right away from their uh, technical support. Really nice. Really, uh, We had a good sort of conversation clearing up any confusion I had with them. And I'm sure uh, they would do the same to you. They just want to give podcasters transparency and creative freedom. And I think in, in that it's easy to use. You're not going blindly to a site, emailing them and going, oh, hey, hey, sir, hey, miss, can I go? And uh, uh, would you like to sponsor my podcast? Uh, you, you know, if you do that, no place is going to get back to you, especially if you don't have that much of an audience. But, you know, Podcorn, they take, uh, they're very open. They want to help you out. So uh, I would highly recommend them. So you can click the link in the show notes to sign up to Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities for your podcast today. Thanks. And uh, now we go back to our show great so i, I think we, we've talked a fair bit about that first gabriel knight game um do you have anything you want to throw throw in before we move into the other ones uh well just just that you know i i it's a game i'm really looking to replay because the summer let's see when was gabriel knight released now that i'm thinking uh, about 93 this. and a 93 93 it was uh uh it was a few years later was when i was going to discover hp lovecraft and really get into supernatural fiction weird fiction and horror fiction and you know and and also you know call of cthulhu the role playing game and investigative gameplay i really want to go back to that uh go back to gabriel knight and replay it uh if only to now appreciate it with everything i know about that about those genres because like I, I just I love that you know it, it's not a crazy magical world where you're throwing out spells. You're a legitimate investigator having a a nice investigation that builds and the and the craziness and the horror gradually accumulates as you play through the game. And that that's really kind of my favorite occult mystery structure. Sure. In fact, it, I'm looking at one of the box art for the game, and it says a supernatural psycho thriller. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if psycho thriller is quite the right word, but like a su- supernatural, supernatural thriller, thriller, I think is a perfect yeah. way to describe the game. Right. Um, so on to the uh, second game, um, the Beast Within: A Gabriel Knight Mystery. Did you play this one? This was on like seven CDs, I think, six or seven CDs. I I did not play this because of uh, when when this had uh, when this had come out. Uh, when when Beast Within had come out, there were kind of two two things keeping me from playing it. So this came out in '95, uh, two years after the first. Yes, and and one one would be the family. We only had one computer for the family, and it okay. was woefully out of date. So it probably, if it could have run this game at all, it probably would have run very very slowly, especially with all the you know, especially with you know uh, the video and things like that. Mm-hmm, and then right. the other thing is. This also came out after I had discovered anime, so most of my disposable income was was going into picking up uh, anime VHS cassettes so and fifty bucks uh, a piece. And, 
<laughs> oh, yeah, and manga. Yeah. I actually picked up more manga than anime now that I think about it. Gotcha. So that's also kind of where my disposable income was going. However, my good buddy Mark, he did have a copy. And while I never played it all the way through, I did hang out with him on some weekends. Uh, we would play through some sections together. All right, one thing um, Tyler mentioned, and, and he had only played the first two games. I don't think he played the third one is each Gabriel Knight game has a different interface, and this is because of when it was made. You know, that, that first game had the classic Sierra mouse interface with the different icons. Oh. This one, Beast Within, uh, uses the same uh, engine as Phantasmagoria, and also later Phantasmagoria 2. So th- those were the, th- the three computer games by Sierra that was full motion video. And for a, a short window of time in the mid-'90s, Almost every computer game tried to have full motion video, despite the fact that compression at the time was horrible and stuff mm. looked uh, even worse than VHS. It looked like a copy of a copy of a copy with lines going through it. Um, and because of that, literally, there's so many fucking video clips in Beast Within that, like, you click on a on a suitcase. There's a video clip of Gabriel walking over to the suitcase. You click to open it. There's a video clip of him reaching in and opening the suitcase. There, this is a clip for just about anything that would have done required animation before. Yeah, and, and I, that that had to have been just a, a nightmare because you've got to figure out every little thing you've got a video of you, and, and that couldn't have been cheap to make at the time. Well, no. In fact, this game was six CDs, one for each chapter. Originally, it was designed to have eight CDs, and they had to cut out two whole CDs worth of content Ooh. because the budget just kept on spiraling. I mean, they had a budget, you know, but it, filming on, I don't know whether they filmed on videotape or, or filmed on, on film. I don't know what format they used or beta or whatever, but it got really expensive, as you can imagine. And even if you're filming against green screen and stuff, you got to get lighting right. You got to get all these close ups. You got to do everything and, you know, fly the actors out there and pay for the hotels and all this other stuff. I mean, it's that that adds up quick. And I think that is oh, a reason indeed. why you didn't see that many full motion video game adventure games as a whole. Yeah, I mean, it, it took it took quite some time before full motion video started to really look good uh, in games. And something that immediately jumps out at me, like, uh, and I think I even thought this looking looking at the box is the the cover is like, oh well, this game has to be about ghosts or vampires or the ghosts of vampires. Uh, yeah, it looks like a vampire, but it's a werewolf. Which you can't tell from the cover. It's just a face with pointy teeth screaming. Yeah, I think I think I would have I would have liked a, a kind of a vaguer, more mysterious cover because th- this cover really creates some expectations. It does. Now, vampires you would actually see in the third game, as it turns out. But right, it is you know kind of a slower pace with the beginning. With you, uh, I, I believe it's a girl or, or someone gets gets killed by a man-sized wolf and. The villagers go up to you at the in the uh, in kind of the Chateauneuf Castle in Germany, and say, "Hey, you got to go and, and do this. You got to solve this mystery." So it's a nice way to kick things off. I think one thing this game did right, which uh, the later game uh, number three also did, is the chapters alternate between Gabriel and Grace, and that's actually a really cool feature. And you know, also a, one of the one of the rare instances of having a female protagonist in your game. Right, and one thing that I thought that was really cute is in the beginning of the Grace segment, you see Grace in the bookshop from the first game in New Orleans for a minute before she flies over the Ger- to Germany. It's a nice continuity there. There is, and there's uh, 
and and they they dressed the set to look very very similar to what you saw in that first game. So, um, there's quite a lot of of history. It you get stuff with a uh, you get a lost Richard Wagner opera. You get to learn about King Ludwig II Neuschwanstein Castle full of swans um, and gold. Mad King Ludwig. Mad King Ludwig. Yes. Indeed. Have you ever been to Germany? Regrettably, no. Uh, as I mentioned before, one of the things I want to do before I die is go to the uh, Essen Convention in Essen, Germany. And I would love to just stay for a month and take in as much of Germany as possible. Certainly. My, my wife was in, in Europe uh, quite some time ago, and she wasn't able to go to Neuschwanstein because it was a very long trip out in the middle of nowhere. And the, the operating hours of the castle are fairly limited, and you can only see about three or four rooms. Their hours are so limited, you'll think they're crazy. Low, low prices. High, high value. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the music in this one was not MIDI like the first. It was, I think, just like wave files or something. But so because of that, I think the music sounded higher quality across the board, even if the bit rate was fairly low. I mean, even the composer Robert Holmes wrote a fake opera for the opera scene near the end. And that is a, that is a level of detail I can really appreciate. And although I've beaten the game since, at the time, I could not finish the game because I got to the last part of the game where it's kind of a an, an action kind of muzzle, not muzzle, an action puzzle maze where when we're going to spoil the plot. I, I don't really care here because, you know, we assume, you know, these old games we're, we're talking about, these classic games we're talking about. At, at one point, Gabriel Knight, you know, turns into a werewolf. And you turn into a wolf to go through and hide down the the guy that's revealed to be the villain. And he's also a wolf. And you sort of have to figure out what rooms to open, what rooms to shut. Um, I could be misremembering this, but I think I'm, I'm fairly accurate in this. And it's just, No, I think, I think you're right. I think he right. does turn into a werewolf at yeah, some point. Yeah, because like the, the vision looks kind of weird and stuff. But the, the bad thing about that is... So I completed that sequence. I got the guy trapped in the correct room with the fireplace you're supposed to shoot him into or whatever. And then it, it turned back human again. You have a split second to click on the gun and uh, to, to shoot him, and I didn't do it fast enough. Oh, God, it's one of those timed puzzles. Timed puzzles, right. And then Don't... all of a sudden the game crashed and my save file corrupted Ooh. at the time. So I, I've beaten it since, and it's a, it, it's a good ending. But I, I was just very... You know, whenever a Sierra game had an action puzzle, it could be a little bit frustrating. Now, I do, I do have to ask: do, do they give any indication that that final puzzle is going to be timed? No. Oh, I cannot stand that. They don't give. And the thing was, I mean, like you, the maze part is is kind of tricky, and I think that's somewhat timed in that part. You realize, but it's that afterwards you see your guy standing there, and he has to reach the gun and, and shoot at the wolf, the werewolf. That it doesn't give you an indication you have like a two second window to do that on. I don't think it helps that my computer was much lower than the recommended requirements to play the game. Oh, yeah. So everything was a bit herky jerky at times. But I, I have very fond memories of Beast Within. I don't think the setting of uh, Germany to me was as quite as interesting as New Orleans, but maybe that's just because I haven't been to Europe. But I think it did make me want to visit there. And it's you, you learn the first game, you learn about voodoo, and the second one, you learn about werewolves and Mad King Ludwig and Richard Wagner and Bavaria and all these great things. 
Well, I think, I mean, I think it is cool that, on the one hand, it is cool that they go for another setting, uh, although at the same time, they barely, I mean, they certainly, in the first game, had not exhausted all the possibilities that New Orleans offers as a setting. Right. Absolutely not. Um, so the second one came out two years after the first. However, the third game, Gabriel Knight 3, Blood of the Sacred, Blood of the, Blood of the Damned, had a um, difficult development. It did not come out until 99. It was one of the last games uh, Sierra Online, really, I think at the time they were called Sierra Studios, actually. They released before basically firing mostly everyone and just making casual games for Xbox Live. Yeah, I believe I believe shut down. Yeah, I believe it it, it cuz uh, it isn't kind of the death of cuz I've I've there are different opinions yes, on this. Right. But the the point and click adventure game genre was pretty much dead by that point and uh, right. I know a lot of people point to the third Gabriel Knight game as essentially the eulogy for uh for point and click adventure gaming. I think you know Gabriel Knight 3, uh, Grim Fandango and Monkey Island 4, those might have been the last three big budget mainstream adventure games. I mean, look at the cover for this game. And keep in mind, in the late 90s, you had stuff like Half-Life and uh, and Doom and, oh, I don't know, uh, Medal of Honor. In the cover of this, a middle-aged man with his shirt off with a necklace, and there's blood on his neck, and there's a vampire hugging him. Well, the cover <laughs> I'm looking at has like an angel oh, uh, right, right, right. figure, yeah, an angel. Yeah. and and it and it makes me think. And when I see this, it makes me think that it's it's going to be some sort of game about about angels. Nope, it's not. It's about vampires. So again, kind of a a, a diff, sort of potentially misleading cover. Kind of a a sexy cover. I don't, it, looks, it looks almost like an erotic fiction cover. It, you know, actually, it really does. It would, it would be called Angel Heat or the Bonds of the Angel, and it would be a, it would be a, a homoerotic romance about uh, about a forbidden love between a man and angel. You play this one? This one? No, no. By this by the by this point, I was preparing for college and just did not have the time to devote to any. I wasn't doing any computer gaming at that point. Right. So I played. Um... Although my brother played it, and he gave me a rundown. What did your brother think of this one? Uh, he he was he was very frustrated with it. Sure. So that, I just sent you here a picture of the graphics from the game. Mm-hmm. This one it had 3D graphics. I think that's part of the reason why it, it took a long time to to be developed because Sierra didn't do that much 3D stuff at the time. Yeah, it, it had tried 3. that with the Final Quest for Glory game, I believe. Oh, correct. Right, right. The look for the the characters, the animation is not. Is not great even at the time. I think the people look look okay. I mean, it's at that time in the late '90s, 3D graphics were not what they were now. You look at a video game like Left 4 Dead that looks fantastic. Well, I'm looking at it Wait, now, and it looks. Dead. I'm sorry, something else. It, it looks okay, but it also looks like The Sims. I look like a, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like it's a right. Sims screenshot. That's that's an interesting point. Um, but I mean, you, you look at stuff now that looks incredibly realistic, and they've really come a long way with 3D graphics. But at the time. You couldn't do that much detail. Stuff moved kind of stiff. I, what I found very frustrating is part of the beauty of having um, the rooms being on a two-dimensional plane, having 2D design, is that everything, you just have to click on what you want to do. But with this game, because it was in 3D, uh, it's not like you were Gabriel when you were moving the buttons around to move Gabriel. Nope. You were, it was more like you were moving around the camera, so it feels like you were navigating 3D Studio Max or Maya. 
and then clicking to where he wants to go. Yeah, and it's it's bad enough when you're trying to pixel hunt, but then when you have to pixel hunt in three dimensions and what you need might actually be behind your point of view, that just adds a whole new level of frustration. Sure. Now, what this game did do right is it kept something from the second game where you could also play as Grace. And um, on top of that, I mean, this story takes a while to get going, but you're in France in the Rennes Chateau. And you're a, the comic book gives a story about a, um, you're rescuing a baby that is, is kidnapped. Now, is there a reason why they don't just call the police or Interpol or anything? It's something like the baby is kidnapped on, on a train and you try to find out who, who took the baby and there's an exciting action sequence on a train. And I thought, wow, that'd be great to play in the game, but nope, it's just in the comic book. But when you begin, you're kind of in this, uh, you're with the bunch, you're with the group of, of tourists. In Which France. I believe in, includes a goth girl. I think so. There's like an Italian, there's like a, a stere- there's an Australian treasure seeker, there's a stereotypical um, kind of, kind of Agatha Christie character, like a old British rich lady. Oh dear, I can't imagine I'd do that. Uh, R2, where are you going? Right, right, yeah. Um, so there is, is sort of a a bunch of the, these characters that you go with on um, on this tour. With the tour group is kind of your your cover as you're investigating where this baby could have gone and how do, how does the local town um, legend about the Templars and the Holy Grail how's that's all related to it. So, again, a lot of interesting uh, historical information. And as it turns out, you know, a lot of the, the research done in here, it's a similar plot to the Da Vinci Code with the Knight Templars. Yeah, they, they are a real go-to for your ancient occultic conspiracies. <laughs> Although I guess this yeah. would have been before that kind of thing was cliche. You do have Detective Mosley returned from the first game. He did not appear in the second one. So, but they couldn't get Mark Hamill to do the voice because uh, he wanted too much money, allegedly. So, well, I mean, he he was well into the the Joker and his his career renaissance at this point, so I can totally see that. But the, the sound like they have is pretty good. Uh, Billy West is the voice of one of the main characters in the game. Um, Tom Kane, who does a lot of voice work as well, voices Jesus Christ at the end of the game. Because there's later there's you learn connections between Jesus Christ. And vampires. Now, does do, is is it actual Jesus or is it like a flashback? Or it's what? actual Jesus. Yes, someone gives you this twenty or thirty minutes of backstory near the end, and you get a kind of motion comic style, a combination of motion comic and three D animation. Yeah, to tell the huh. story. So, but it gives you way too much of an info dump at the end of the game, and it yeah, could have picked I, I up the murder stuff a bit more. Yeah, I want to be actively doing something at the end of the game. I don't want to be watching exposition. Right, and whether it's like a, a priest telling you the history of the church in the beginning and all this stuff, like it gets more interesting as you get along, as you go past the first day and you're doing the tourist sites around the um, around the town, around the valley. It gets significantly more interesting. Uh, but, you know, an infamous puzzle from this game is the... The, past, the, the uh, renting a scooter puzzle? Yeah, where you have to pretend like you're your friend Mosley, 
And for some reason, you get a have to make yourself have a mustache, even though Mosley does not really have a mustache. What and, doesn't part of the puzzle involve drawing a fake mustache on the on the ID you're using from Mosley? That's part of it. Also, part of it involves putting honey on a fence and having a cat go through the hole in the fence with the honey so you can get the cat's fur. It's it's adventure yeah, game is... at its worst. And um, and that is actually the part that my brother and a lot of critics have pointed out to as being the, the death of point-and-click adventure games because that is such a ridiculous stream of logic. I mean, the, the thing about really good puzzles is that there's a reason why you're doing what you're doing to solve the puzzle, and usually what you're doing is sort of a simple, elegant solution. But at that point, it would be less risky and less complicated to just steal the damn bike. Yeah, I mean, there's so many other ways you could have... Uh could have done it or you could have like bought Mosley a beer and then taken his I don't know taken his license out of taken the his, well, his moped keys out of his pocket right? or, or give then, or give Mosley some cash to cover the expense and just borrow it or have him do it right or hire a prostitute to see Mosley and then go steal a shit I don't know like yeah there's so many other ways he could have done this um but yeah, so the third game is, is okay. It gets better as it goes on, and at the, the and it ends kind of like on on an open note, where Grace leaves. Um, Gabriel doesn't know where she went, but she left a note. But you don't get to see what the note said, and, and so it's clearly setting the stage for a fourth game that, as of yet, hasn't happened. However, if this remake does well, uh, they are they would greatly, highly consider doing a fourth one. Now, do you think that was a setup for a straight sequel? Or do you think they were trying to set up a Grace spinoff? Oh, good question. You certainly could do a Grace spinoff. Um, I think it was going to be like a straight sequel, and um, the rumor was it might have involved ghosts because they always have to do something. Like the vampire angle from this game kind of – you don't really see vampires and stuff till like the very end. You also see a demon monster that gets resurrected uh, that in this graphics engine doesn't look especially impressive. Um yeah, I don't know. Like it, I, I would love to see them remake this game, especially in a 2D style, and kind of do a director's cut and streamline things a bit. Because I think you got a, a good story. It just takes a while to get going. It doesn't quite have the magic of 1 and 2. Well, I think since we're, this episode is going a bit over long here, let's skip video game news and let's... Uh, what you playing, Thrasher? Well, I am playing Darksiders 2. On the 360? Uh, yes, indeed. Did you play the first one? What do you think of Dark? And what do you think of this one you're playing right now? Yes, uh, Dark Darksiders was the original Darksiders. I found it thoroughly entertaining and also thoroughly frustrating. It was just it, it was one. It's like the most frustrated I've ever been while still being that entertained. It's and kind of like a darker Legend of Zelda, isn't it? In, in a lot of ways, yeah, it plays kind of like uh, I get. Yeah, it plays a lot like Ocarina of Time, but with like massive combat so uh with that in mind what did you think of the second game then was it as frustrating as the first uh it can be at times but like the thing the thing about the 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 thing about the second one is that is that everything's essentially a fuck you and nothing matters you're just playing a game uh absolutely nothing you do in that game matters and it's just every npc is a lazy dick that you have to do favors for so that they will do you a favor that unlocks other favors you've got to do all while going on this ridiculously you know complicated and abstract quest to redeem 
the guy from the first game by resurrecting the entire human race. And it's just everything is a one damn thing after another. Sally, there's a hole in my bucket installment of this narrative. I don't even understand what that phrase means. A hole, a hole in my bucket. Okay, that like you need you need the mouse to feed the cat, but the cat has to be shaved, so you need to borrow the razor from the chef who needs flour from the miller who needs a millstone from the guy from the quarry. And it's just like that's kind of how the narrative unfolds. And it's just all video game bullshit, but there's no narrative justification for the video game bullshit, which actually I kind of applaud them for. for. I kind of applaud them for, here's a tower full of climbing spikes, enjoy. (laughs) I mean, if at the end of the game, a person woke up from a simulation of a video game, I would not be at all surprised. And I have no idea how it really connects with the first Darksiders. I don't know if it's supposed to be taking place concurrently with it or if it takes place after or technically before. And I suspect it's going to end the same way with a a ridiculously frustrating boss battle that doesn't actually end the game. Because like that's the way the first one ends. The sure. first one ends with this ridiculously complicated boss battle, and then you're about to be killed, but then the other three horsemen show up. And I'm expecting this game to have the exact same kind of ending. Something I've been playing lately is... Uh, it just started the open beta on the Mac. It's been out on PC, I think, for almost two years now. It's called Marvel Heroes. Mm-hmm. And it's a free-to-play MMO. But it, it's I say MMO, but that's sort of true. It's designed by a guy that worked on Diablo 1 and 2, so it's it, the gameplay is like Diablo. Huh. But it's 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 all, it's all online and other people are playing simultaneously with you. And it's set in the Marvel universe, and I think what's interesting is unlike DCUO, uh, the DC Universe online, you're not making your own superhero. Instead, you pick from one of the favorites. And if you want one of the real cool ones, you either have to pay money for him or you can save up money in game to buy it. So I'm playing as Punisher, who's one of the free ones, and the Punisher happens to be, I think, my favorite Marvel character. And we really cool. should talk about those movies on our sister show, the sequel cast, because uh, Punisher, they don't—they've never quite gotten them right on film, I think. But yeah, it's uh, been a very mixed bag with his three films. Uh, that's being kind. Yeah, uh, I actually like the last one, Warzone, but that was quite—you know—quite the silly, over-the-top thing. Which, which is fine with me, but the character's tough. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Anyway, on to Marvel Heroes. You know, I think it's it's pick up and play. It's very quick. I think a Diablo more action-style combat for me is more interesting than, like, World of Warcraft, where it's kind of slow and ponderous. And I can play this game without having to constantly mess around with the camera. It's, it's a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to putting uh, some more time into it. If you look up, I think my name on there is Sequel Cast, and I'm playing as Punisher. It's like a 15 gig download, though, so be prepared for that. But I don't think the system requirements are especially stiff. Very cool. Very neat. Um, all right, so it's it's your turn, Thrasher. What should we cover next on Video Game Sequel Cast? Oh gosh, that that is an intriguing intriguing question well we've uh, we've we've looked at the past again so i think we should look at the present or possibly the future uh, i would like i think i would like to cover the as it currently exists the professor layton series great that'll be good you know i've never played one i don't have a ds or a 3ds but um, i played a demo i guess the first one so 
I think that's that's a good idea. You know, they've done a lot of those. I think they even have an animated film, perhaps. Uh, yes, there was an animated film released in Japan. Neat. So, um, turn in next time on the Video Game Sequel Cast. Tune in. I can't speak. Tune in on the Video Game Sequel Cast, <laughs> where we'll talk about the Professor Layton series for the uh, just the DS and the 3DS, right? Was it any other systems? Uh, no, I don't believe so. Great. So, uh, until next time, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher, player two. Saying? Believe me, I've tried. St. George, patron of the light. I'm a shadowhunter. <laughs> excuse me, bartender. I'd like a Schattenjäger. <laughs> what would be in a Schattenjäger? That's a, that's a good last question. We, we should invent that drink if it doesn't already drink. Well, it needs to have some Nolan's flair. Okay, no, it's a Hepelweizen, it's a Hepelweizen beer, oh. but then you add uh, a crawdad to it. <laughs> <laughs> a, a live crawdad snapping at the bottle top of a... <laughs> and some chicory. And, and some chicory. You know, I think what I would do if I was making a, a shot of Jaeger drink is I would have a, a shot of a of Jaegermeister in a uh, dropped in a cup of strong hot chicory coffee. The video game sequel cast is a hipster goblin production.